Hey, hey, this is Coach V coming back at you. I appreciate you joining me. We're getting ready to start episode four of the Coach V Show. I got a lot of hot topics for you. The main one we're going to talk about, piggybacking off of episode three, like I mentioned. Couldn't wait to get that one to you. We're going to talk about uh, coaches hiring their buddies, people they know and supposedly trust, as opposed to the best candidate. That's going to be the first one. Then we'll talk about some other things as well. We're going to get right to it right now. All right. So what I talked about previously was uh, James Franklin, right? Hiring guys. Uh, seemingly the same outcome happens offensively. His offenses look terrible. Absolutely terrible. Doesn't matter to players. Doesn't matter to quarterback. It looks just inept, right? Not well coached. Scheme-wise, I'm not really sure what the heck they're doing. And I, 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 some things that I've heard is he butts in quite a bit. He's kind of dictating what he wants. I don't know if that's a good thing or bad thing. Like, I'm not in there. I'm not in the room. I'm not on the field to know whether it's a positive or a negative. All I know is he's the common denominator to all, and I mentioned in three offensive coordinators that he had that he's had, I, again, I don't know who the guy is that he has now. Doesn't matter. The offense looks just as putrid as it did under Kirk Soraka, who I know for a fact is a really good offensive coordinator. And John Donovan, who's kind of questionable. Again, I think Donovan, maybe I'm, I'm defending him because I had communication with him. I, I no longer do. He almost hired me. If it wasn't for COVID, he was about to hire me to be his GA. I got connected to him. Had a good conversation with him on the phone. Told him what my goals were. He was all down. We were, we were, we were moving forward. And part of me feels like he was, he was put in a bad situation in different places. Right? With that said... The actual topic, I'm going to use Penn State and then I'm going to use the University of Washington to kind of make my point. Like I said, Franklin has resources. He's at a major, major college football program and educational institution. Penn State is one of the most well-known names in college athletics. And yes, football, because their basketball team, I mean, John Amici is like the only guy I know from their basketball team. Other than that, they're pretty average. Now, they probably have somewhere a good lacrosse team or uh, a good diving team. I'm sure they got some other sport that they are like historic at. I have no idea. It could be hockey, too, because it is that part of the country. But something's wrong with Franklin's hiring of his offensive coordinators. Something isn't right because they look just as bad with every hire. So then what is his criteria for hiring? And from my experience, from listening to him talk, again, I mentioned in, my, in episode three, that he is, he made it clear in these Zooms that we were on that we're talking about career stuff and how to how to how to um how to grow in the you know within the sport within the the the, um, 
your career. You know, he talked about how he doesn't look at resumes. Resumes don't, he, he said, I've never looked at a resume as long as I've been a head coach. Shed some light on some things, right? Because here we are, we still make resumes, even I was, and it had no bearing on the Power Five. None. They didn't care. Who do you know that I know? That's it. Now, maybe at the Division Three level, NAIA, D2 maybe, JUCO, of course. Maybe they, they look at that stuff. But when you're talking about that level, he plainly put it out there. Don't send me your resume because I'm not going to look at it. Don't send it to uh, one of my other coaches. You don't need to. We're not going to look at it. Understood? Uh, understandable. Okay. However, so then how do you hire? You hire who you know. Somebody you trust brings you someone and they recommend them. They then come in for an interview, maybe some chalk talk. When I say chalk talk, they're driving James, you know, Coach Franklin might, might draw up a defense. And this guy is going to draw up an offense and they're going to go back and forth. And he wants to see how much this guy knows on the chalkboard. Right. That's typical. Happened to me in my uh, in one of my coaching stops uh, at the high school level. And at that time, I told the coach, I said, hey, you know what? I'm pretty I'm pretty young in all of this stuff, to be honest with you. At the time, I didn't really understand the difference between cover two, cover three. You know, I definitely didn't know anything about cover four, cover six. You know, I had no idea. But that was the coach that taught me all of that stuff. So anyway, you, you, you go through that part of the interview process and then, uh, you know, a decision is made. But what I want to address is the part that where the guy you don't know who might just be the better option. Sure, you don't know him. I've always wondered, why do you need to trust so much when you can just, well, shoot, man, let me call up some coaches and tell it and find out about your background to make sure I'm not bringing in a dude that's got like a, a checkered past. Like Urban Meyer and his strength coach. Right. Might want to make some, might want to make a few phone calls. Probably would have been a good idea. So why is it that. Coaches can't do that. Now, I know there have been some guys. I can't think of, I want to say two years ago, there was some guy I've heard maybe a little bit less than a handful of times, maybe three or four times where a coach was hired. Matter of fact, a buddy of mine at, 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 uh, at, at the school I previously just worked at told me he didn't know anybody there. He was on, he was, he was on, on, the pre, on, a, on a previous staff and he said, I, hey, I just, I, I actually just sent my resume. I didn't know anybody here. There was no, no connections at all. And I looked at him. I was like, are you serious? He's like, yeah, I, I don't, I don't, I just, I sent my resume to, to the DC and the head coach. Next thing I know, they gave me a call. I'm like, wow. So it can happen. It's just extremely rare. And James Franklin has made it very clear. That ain't where he's hiring you from. 
That ain't happening at Penn State. But my question is, I mean, at this point, Coach Franklin, looking at your offense, brother, why not? I mean, what you got to lose? Because you keep hiring coordinators and something ain't right. Like I said in the previous episode, man, I saw that offense from the start. From the start of that Ohio State game. And I saw the first drive and I'm like, oh man, this is the same stuff. It has not changed. Honestly, I was excited to watch that game because I was like, man, this has to be different. Like I know Ohio State. I know they, they're either going to be uh, uh, above average to great. Like I can pretty much pencil that in. I, I, let me I, I'm rephrase that. I can pin that in because I don't need to potentially erase it. A, a, a down year for Ohio State is they might be just a slight, slightly lower than above average. That means they're probably still going to go to the to the final four, or they're going to be in it until the Michigan game. And prior to Ryan Day being the head coach, playing Michigan meant they were going to beat. Like let's like let's be real, they did every time they beat them. But now that things have switched, now all of a sudden Ryan Day seems to have a Jim Harbaugh problem. So anyway, Penn State, what I know is they're always going to bring at least an average. To great defense. However, they're going to bring a average to well below offense. And that's my point. Why aren't why at this point wouldn't you say, maybe I want to go out and just get the best candidate and leave him alone? Let the man coach his offense. Stop trying to dictate because that's what I've been told that he's kind of a dictator. He likes to come in and meddle with stuff. That isn't even his side of the ball. Now, again, I will say he's the head coach. Truthfully, all sides of the ball are his side. He can choose where he wants to meddle. But why can't he go out and say, I'm going to bring in, I'm going to call up the best offensive mind I can find. I don't care if I know him or not. I don't know if it's a, I don't want to hire somebody who has this horrible past and I don't know about it. And then the school gets in trouble and then I get fired. That's understandable. But I'm sorry. There's way too much information out there. You don't have the resources to find out. Of course you do. Of course you do. Have somebody, you ain't got to do it. Have somebody do the research. Look at the schools he's worked for and call them. Period. If he had something that dark in his past, he probably would have got fired for it. Hey, why did you leave that school in the middle of the in the middle of the school year? Of course, another coach can say, hey man, I know you did this, but we're gonna say you resigned due to health issues or family issues because that's always kind of the throw under the rug we'll just say it was family stuff but really you were caught sleeping around on campus and then there was a rape allegation that comes out 10 years later or 5 years later 
And I, I, I and that 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 is probably part of it. Understood. But somewhere you got to take a chance, man, because that his offense every single year is terrible. Whatever your hiring practice is, it is not working. And I know your hiring practice because you told me, you told us in the Zoom, the 600 people who were in the Zoom, you told us all what it was. You don't look at resumes. You only hire people you know and you trust. So that's great. So you got you got, you got your offense or you got your program that's in clean, tip-top shape. I understand maybe you're being extremely careful who you bring in, especially with Penn State's past. But man, that offense is terrible. I'm sorry to tell you. Like, I can come in there and do that. Leave me alone. Okay, realistically, no, I couldn't. But nonetheless, it's terrible. It's absolutely terrible. Now, with that said, I'm going to get off of James Franklin a little bit, and I'm going to uh, uh, use that same, that same rule of hiring your friends or your trusted from trusted people as opposed to hiring uh, people you don't know. And I'm going to then flip it to the University of Washington. Because, and I know, okay, so I haven't said it. I may have slipped up, but I worked in a recruiting department at the University of Washington, now two years ago. I was with Lake, Coach Lake for the 2021 season, and then he got fired right as the year was ending, and then DeBoer was hired. So I was there for the first couple of months that DeBoer was there, for the first six months DeBoer was there. And I'm saying this because I look at what, the Huskies have turned to offensively. And their offense is absolutely just out of this world. Right? Michael Penix is up for the Heisman. He is extremely, he, I mean, he was good at Indiana. So this is no, nothing crazy here. Right? He was really good at Indiana. Their offense is ranked fourth in all of college football. Fourth. LSU, Oregon, Georgia. Are the only teams that's above them. Okay. So my point is, I know when DeBoer came in, because I was still in the building, I was matter of fact, I kind of worked as his like his his sort of not his executive assistant, obviously, but his um, I did a lot of projects for him. OK, while before I left. And I saw the guys. So I so with the previous staff. I was there with those guys. While they were waiting kind of on their fates to either be fired or not. I worked directly in the recruiting department with the running backs coach, Keith Bonafa. I walked him out and helped him put his stuff in his car as he was being let go. 
Um, Ikaika Malloy. He was one of the last ones to go. Ikaika Malloy is somebody I have uh, connections to. Multiple connections to. He helped me get the internship. Ikaika Malloy is husky through and through. Okay, that's a very old way of saying. Number one, he went to school there. He played football there. His family lives there. His son played football there. His kids played sports there. Yes, he went off to other schools to coach to get his career up, to like get his experience up, and he eventually ended back as a Husky. He was in the building. He was waiting to find out what his uh, fate was. I'm sitting in the... In the, in the uh, in the lounge, the front lounge with him. He was on the phone and he was frustrated because, you know, it's a hard time at that point because there are jobs that are being taken, but you want to stay. You want to stay for your family. It just makes life easier. And you're being put on hold while less and less jobs are available. They're being filled. You need to be one that's filling them to ensure you have employment for this next year. So without getting too personal into it, because I can go further than that. Looking at their offense and looking at their defense now, and don't get me wrong. Coach Inge is my guy. He's their co-DC. He did mock interviews for me. He plays around with my son when I take him when I take him to games or when I went to practices or whatever it may be. Um, there's about three of the coaches that I keep in touch with. He's really the only one. He's the only one from the defense. The other two are offense. But I will say that defense is struggling. That defense is ranked 83rd in all of college football. The offense is ranked 4th. They are undefeated. Under Jimmy Lake, now obviously they couldn't have kept Jimmy Lake, but my point is, Jimmy Lake's Husky teams were known for defense. They had offensive problems. Okay? They had offensive problems. One of the problems they didn't have was defense. So I always wondered why, why could they, why could DeBoer not keep that defensive staff? Why bring up, and I know I get it. This is, this is how football works. However, my question is, why not bring, why not keep the same guys who you know ran great defenses at UW. Remember, the, they're known, they're one of the schools that could debate that they are DBU. Along with LSU, I'm, I'm trying to think of some other ones that, like Florida State used to be, Right, Dion, Samari Rowe, Terrell Buckley, Florida State used to have. Those are guys that I, I was fans of. Corey Fuller, 
uh, played for the Vikings for many years. Uh, man, like they they put out guys. Well, the Huskies, they did too. You could argue argue that they are DBU of the last 10 years. Now, that's also Chris Peterson, but that's also Coach Lake. So why, when DeBoer came in, I would have given serious thought to, well, I'm going to keep this whole staff, the whole defensive staff. Why bring in guys that are coming from Fresno State that ran average defenses at Fresno State, which understandable because that's not a great, you know, you're not getting the best defensive players you can find at Fresno State. And Fresno State, you're going up against somewhere in your schedule, you're going up against a USC or, uh, you know, not that Cal or somebody like that is great, but you're going to go up against a Pac-12 team. That's like one of the things with Fresno State is they always had somebody on their schedule that's above them, that they that, that's power five. So why would you not come in that door and sit down and interview all of those defensive guys and say, I'm giving some serious thought to keeping these guys because look at the track record of their defense. Every year, they are somewhere in the top 20, top 30, top 10 in defense. In the Pac-12 where they're throwing the ball all over the yard. Again, I talked about that in one of my previous episodes, that that is what the Pac-12 is known for. That was episode two. The Pac-12 throws the ball everywhere. Their offenses, it is shotgun, four or five wide, throw, 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 throw. Big 10, right? I mean, I guess you get more with Ohio State. They're a little more Pac-12-ish, but they still run the ball more even though they are in your open sets, four wide receivers, one tight end, right? They might go three wide, two back, but they're in gun. Penn State likes to be under center quite a bit. Michigan is definitely old school. Wisconsin is definitely old school. Brett Bielema at Illinois. You know, he's a little bit of a balance, but again, he really lets things, he, he lets his offensive coordinator run run things. Okay. So if I know I'm coming in there with the offense that we're going to come in there with, and we got Michael Penix on the way, I, and I'm sorry, he he knew that. I, I, I know, I like, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't talk to him to know, but I, I'm pretty, I guarantee you, they knew. They had already spoke to Penix about transferring. They knew they were getting him. There's no way I would not have been interviewing that defensive staff and seriously thinking about, hey, I know you guys are my buddy and you guys work with me at Fresno State, uh, but here, listen, um, this staff is proven. I got to start with a great defense. I'm a new head coach coming in here to the to the Power Five level. I've never I've never head coached at this level. He's had plenty of experience there, but and I understand that that's not what. That's not the mentality of Power Five. That's what I'm talking about with James Franklin. But could you imagine, my question is, could you imagine what the Huskies would be like right now? 
if they kept if they kept that whole defensive staff together? My goodness. They would have a top four offense and it and arguably a top 10 defense. At least top 20. They're right, right now they're ranked 83rd. 83. That changes things so much when all you got to do, you already have the guys in the building when you get there. They're already there. Those guys did not leave. They were waiting. When DeBoer got hired, every single one of them were there. I can't imagine. You can't even think about that and you bring in... You bring in guys that have never coached at that level to run the defense. Now you got to basically start over. You got players that are going to transfer out. You have to get a whole new staff. You got to implement a whole new defense. And I love their their I love Coach Inge, and I know he's not the defensive play caller. That's Coach Morrell. Who's never, I shouldn't say he's never called the defensive plays. He was actually a head coach at, uh, I want to say, at the Division II level. So chances are he called, I'm sure, I'm sure somewhere in his career he's called defensive plays, but never to this level. He's never been at the Power Five level. So if I'm the head coach, I am given, if I'm DeBoer, I'm given major, major thought to keeping that entire defensive staff, if they want to stay, of course. Simply because of their track record. They're putting guys in the league annually from the defensive backfield. Now, one of their biggest weaknesses is the defensive backfield. You doggone right, I would have thought about that. So that's, that's where my issue is with just blindly hiring guys or choosing to hire guys because they come from a school you were just at or they're trusted, they come from somebody trusted, instead of hiring the best candidates or in this situation where you have the guys already in the building, you choose to let them go to other schools instead of keeping them. Man, I, I, I just, I would love to see a head coach come in with a different mentality instead of the same old traditional lazy, I'm sorry, to me it's lazy, it's lazy way of thinking. I don't want to have to think through this. I don't want to have to take chances. I just want to hire the guy that I know, the guy that I trust, even if he's not even half as good as another guy or a guy that is already in the building. I'm going to let that guy go. The only guy on that defense that I can say is better or debatably. And that's just, and, and honestly, I'm just, the only reason I'm even saying that is because of who he coached. I can't say that he's actually better than the guy who was there. The one who has some cachet, I'll use that, is Coach Enoki Brecht, Brechtefield. You might ask, who the heck is that? 
Coach Brechtefield is the guy who coached Aaron Donald. Now, again, I don't know if that means he's a great coach or if Aaron Donald is just a great player despite who his coach was. Because it's no different than Cooper Cup. Ironically, they both play for the same team. Interesting. Junior Adams was a receivers coach at UW. Junior Adams coached that same guy. He coached Cooper Cup. It's like his one claim to fame. Now, Junior's a great guy. Great guy. Loved him. He actually reached out to me on Twitter uh, back when, uh, right as I was leaving UW, and unfortunately I saw it months later because I hadn't been on, and by that time he, his, uh, I don't know, his practices had started and he hadn't responded or whatever it was, but um, really cool guy. Glad to see him doing his thing. Um, nonetheless, that's kind of my thought process is it's kind of the, it's kind of, I don't mean it in the race or in the racial way, but I mean it in, in kind of like the good old boy system uh, of college football. Again, not in a racial way, not in a uh, color way, but in a hiring way. We just hire the guys that we know, the guys that we trust. I get recommendations from people that I trust instead of I'm actually going to go out and look for the best candidate. Which is ironic that every other version of hiring in this world goes out and gets the best candidate. With the exception of college athletics or even I shouldn't say college, but pro as well. And I know that there's a big thing right now within hiring in general where LinkedIn, they want you to get to know people and it's 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 uh, it's recommendations. So even hiring outside of athletics is actually starting to take on that same bring me the recommendations type thing instead of the potentially the best person. So anyway, 30 minutes on that. I had to touch on that. Uh, it was something that I really wanted to tackle. Uh, it's it's a, it's again, it's it's kind of personal to me in a sense, because it's just one of those things that I just, I just don't quite grasp the concept of not hiring the candidate who can actually help us win more. I'm going to hire the guy that I trust. Just doesn't quite make sense to me when you can actually do things to make sure that you, you use your resources and trust the guy. So anyway, um, so the next topic I want to talk about is uh, asterisk games. And I'm, I've kind of held have this one on the docket for a minute, uh, but I want to go back to that topic with Mike Tirico making the um, making the comment about when the Lions beat the Chiefs in week one. And there was a lot of people, especially Lions fans, who were all kinds of butthurt. And I'm sorry, I agree with them. And I got Lions fans making all kinds of excuses. I remember the two that came up that made no, absolutely no, 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 uh, no sense at all. Well, we can't help that uh, Kelsey was injured. Well, it has nothing to do with injuries. Nobody's talking about injuries. Of course, it's not your fault. Who said it was? Well, we can't help that uh, Chris Jones hadn't signed his contract. Well, yeah, no, you can't help that. Has nothing to do with this conversation, though. 
And then all of a sudden you got people acting like, well, what is an asterisk game? Man, listen, you know what an asterisk game is. Stop. You're only doing this because people are now finding reasons to doubt your win. If this was the other way around, you'd be saying that was an asterisk win. So if you want to play dumb and act like you don't know what that means, go right ahead. I'm not going to sit here and give you a definition of it because you know the definition. The point is, Mike Tirico was 100% right. That was an asterisk win. And like I said to people, in the end, sure, it doesn't matter. You won the game. You look down, you look 10 years from now, the Lions still beat the Chiefs. <coughs> Excuse me. The Lions beat the Chiefs in game one of the 2023 season. There won't physically be an asterisk fight. All I'm saying is there's no way in absolute hell you're going to tell me if Travis Kelsey didn't play and Chris Jones didn't play if the Lions beat the Kansas City Chiefs in Kansas City. I don't care how you – I, I doesn't bother me. Doesn't, doesn't matter to me how you, how you frame it. It wasn't going to happen. The Lions are good. They aren't that good. Now, you could – Maybe say, hey, man, we, we beat them 41 to 10. Okay, then maybe that's different. You beat them 21 to 20, and you needed to come back and win. Uh, you need to get a first down uh, um, to, to ice the game. Listen, man, Travis Kelsey good with two touchdowns by himself. Those are the two, two of the of the three best players on the entire Chiefs team. Travis Kelsey is a top five tight end of all time. Chris Jones is one of the best interior defensive linemen in the game. You are not going to sit here and tell me. The Chiefs don't win that game. And I'm not even one to, to, to say, because I understand that things can happen, right? Travis Kelsey could have fumbled the ball twice. He could have had the worst game of his career. Of course. Of course. Chris Jones could have maybe he he wasn't uh he hadn't practiced and so he he his uh you know his stamina wasn't quite up because of the whole contract dispute. And maybe he didn't have a great game. Now we do know that the Lions have a really good offensive line. Maybe they control the line even with Chris Jones. Okay, but no. Nope. That's what an asterisk win is. Okay? There's other parts of it, too. There is, uh, I mean, you could say, I'm not going to. You could say, Cleveland beat the Niners. It was an asterisk win. There was no Debo Samuel. McCaffrey got injured during the game. Trent Williams got injured. Couldn't hold up against, uh, against uh, Miles Garrett. Right? He went back in. But now he was compromised because he's got an angle problem. And Miles Garrett literally ate him up the rest of the game. Before that, it was a really good game. Or I should say it was a really good battle between those, those two. But I take that one a little more personal. That's my team. I'm not one to make excuses for my own team. I'm not one to say, I'll say it for other people's team. 
right? But I'm not quick to label my own team and just say, oh, man, we would have won that game. If I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I'm, that's not me. We lost that game. We should have won. We were a better team. Without Debo, without Trent, without McCaffrey, I'm still thinking we're a better team than Cleveland. And guess what? If our field goal kicker doesn't go wide right by a couple of inches, we win that game. He missed two kicks. And that's okay. He's a rookie. And there, 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 there's other asterisk games in all of sports, which is why I know Lions fans know exactly what I'm talking about. Because I've heard them. If Calvin Johnson, if they didn't have that ridiculous rule, the catch rule in the back of the end zone, we win that game. Oh, so is that an asterisk win now? Or is that an asterisk loss by the Lions? And you know what's funny? I tend to remember these conversations. I actually had a conversation with a friend when that happened. I remember that. And he said, yeah, we would have beat them. So that's an asterisk loss by the Lions. All of a sudden, when it's flipped around the other way, all of a sudden, they don't know what that is. The hypocrisy of a fan. Now, I'm not going to sit here and say Lions fans are the only hypocritical fans in sports. They are not. But that was a hypocritical moment. And it was a defensive moment. They were very defensive of that win because it was huge for the franchise. Agreed. I didn't go out saying it was an asterisk win. I just agreed with Mike Tirico. And the fact that he took so-called backlash, I don't really think he took backlash of it. I found it to be true and I found it to be hilarious. I didn't even hear him say it. I just thought, yep, he's right. It is. So anyway, um, so yes, asterisk win. And there's you can go down the line. You can go to the NBA, right? As a Laker fan, I've always said, and at this time, I wasn't a Laker fan. So we're talking about uh, the, the finals with the Bad Boy Pistons and the Showtime Lakers where Magic Johnson considered to be the greatest point guard of all time versus and, and Byron Scott, who was the number two guy, uh, starter. Both of them were out for the series. And I have said for many years, Piston fans, I'm sorry to tell you. Number one, it's not a sweep. Duh, it's not a sweep. And you arguably don't win that title if those two play. Now, maybe you do. Maybe you do. That's why I'm not necessarily saying it's an asterisk win. What I'm saying is, at least, at worst case scenario, I can say, that series is going six or seven. It ain't a sweep. But I can certainly sit here and lay claim to the fact that, well, hey, I think the Lakers would have won. But then again, I wasn't a Laker fan back then. I didn't really have a team. I actually wasn't that big of a Magic Johnson fan. I didn't become a Laker fan until, uh, until Eddie Jones in the mid-90s. I was a Dr. J fan growing up. So there are a lot of asterisk wins and losses all over sports. 
So the next time your team beats someone or loses to someone and you have a reason why an injury to a major player, uh, I, I mean, I could say Niners last year against the Eagles. I could say it. I have no idea. I have no idea who would have won that game. I do know it wouldn't have been whatever the score was. I do know that. But that's as far as I can go. I have no idea. I have no reason to think that Brock Purdy would have played bad because, well, he played just fine against the, the Seahawks. Um, I forget who he played. Well, he didn't play in the first round because they had a bye. Up until then, he had played just fine. And then he got injured. So, who knows? All I, can, all I know is it wouldn't have been that score. So, anyway, moving on to the next topic. I want to talk about good old Pat McAfee. And I just heard that uh, over the weekend that he is leaving. I don't know if this is a rumor. That he won't return to college game day. Because apparently he is not well liked by the viewers, by the traditional viewers of College Game Day. I find that interesting that ESPN is actually listening to their viewers. That's actually pretty crazy to me. What I think is happening is it must be ratings because that's the only time they're going to listen. They're going to listen to the ratings. They're not, they're, they're not listening to the voices. They're not listening to the tweets. They're listening to the ratings. And I'm going to just assume, I haven't looked it up, but I'm just going to assume that their ratings must be falling and Big Noon Saturday must be rising. And people are turned off by McAfee. So maybe those ratings made them say, hey, let's hop online and see what people are saying. Maybe that'll give us a reason why the ratings are going down. And people are talking about McAfee. And I'm going to say this, good riddance. I am not, I've never been a fan of Pat McAfee. I don't have, there's nothing he says or anything. There's nothing, um, like I don't, there's no race issue. There's no, none of that. It's just his style. It doesn't fit. I've never liked his show. I'm a big watcher. I go back and I watch a lot of clips of a lot of shows. And his is one that I, I don't go and watch. I don't, I don't like him on first take. I don't like him on game day. So I can't wait to see him off the show. I don't know. And I, I, I can't, you know, it's something about him that just sits wrong with me. And maybe I am just more traditional where I want my guys not about comedy. And I know Lee Corso is, but he's just he's just the old guy. You know, he, and, and part of that, too, is I, I kind of grew up watching Lee Corso. So his comedy became OK with me. Right. Like his whole wearing of the mascot head, like I like that stuff, but McAfee is just different. I don't see the hype in his show. Um, and I, I, I would almost say I, I, I'm pretty, pretty, pretty sure 
without in without looking at any ratings or anything or where obviously I wouldn't be able to find where what 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 his viewers race is. But I feel like he has a show that is probably dominated by white viewers. I just can't imagine a lot of black viewers watching his show. And again, there's nothing racial about it. It's just almost it's like he's a like he's a the typical yeah, no, I'm not going to go there. Um, yeah, I just feel like a lot of, he would get a lot of white viewers instead of black viewers. And maybe he just doesn't align with black people. It's probably the best way I can say it. But something about him sits wrong with me. So again, I'm going to leave it there. And I'm glad that he is out of here. Thank goodness. And I got about 15 minutes left. So the last thing I'm going to uh, go over here is I want to talk about um, I'm I'm, going to pivot here a little bit. There's another topic I want to talk about. However, I want to get a little bit more research on it first. Um, But I want to go to something I just was speaking to some, some friends of mine today about and that is Wimbiana. This kid with the Spurs. And I know I'm flipping it over to, to to basketball right now. And I probably won't take the whole hour this time, but that kid is something else. The Spurs are getting ready to come on. Matter of fact, they should be on TV now. I'm actually going to watch a Spurs game. Because I want to see this kid live. Like not live live, but like not just replays on, on Sports Center or something. Or what? Listen to the shows talk about him because this kid can shoot, he can drive, he can. I mean, we're talking about step back shots. Like, what? This kid is seven five. That is absolutely insane. This is KD Dirk. Uh, another uh, friend of mine said uh, Antetokounmpo. Like who is this kid and what what um what lab was he created in? That's like and 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 not not to forget Manute Bowl. Just the body. Now you do worry about the injuries because he's so real thin. But I'm looking at the replays and I'm I'm just. Who would have ever thought that a seven foot five kid can do the things that he can do? I mean, when he when he dunks, he looks like a kid playing on a toy. He, he looks like an adult playing on a toy rim. Because he barely has to jump to get to it. His arms are so long and he's already seven foot five. It is absolutely insane to watch this guy play. I'm watching him block shots. And I think that's the part that really gets me because that is reaction. That is a read and react. Defense takes more, to me, ability and reaction time than offense. Offense, you know where you want to go. You're in control. Defense, you have to be able to react Your body has to be able to react quick enough to what your mind says to do in order to be successful. 
which is why I believe some some guys just are not good at defense, but they're good at offense. Because when they're in control, their bodies can do what their brains say do. You don't need to do it terribly quick. You can think about it and prepare your body for that move. But on defense, your body has to read and react like, just like that. Snap of a finger. You have to go. And his body, he can read and react at the drop of a dime and get his hand up and block. He's blocking. I watched I, I watch some replays of him against the Warriors. And he is blocking their shots. We're talking Clay, Steph. He's blocking these guys' shots. And maybe it wasn't Steph and Clay. I take that back. I think it was. Was it Wiggins? He blocked. He blocked somebody's shot that was. I was like, whoa. That guy actually stepped back. He had a good step, and he he took a good step back, and Wimbiana still reacted, and got off the ground so quick. Now those are the types of things that can get you injured. That's how, you know, you can tear an ACL or it's usually uh, defense or it's coming down. Now for him, when he dunks, he doesn't come down very far because his legs are so long, his body is so long, he's not coming down from a high distance. You know, so it is amazing to watch this guy play. Like I, Nobody has seen anything like that. And yes, Giannis is is great in his own right, but he's nothing like the shooter that this kid is. Giannis is bigger, right? He's much bigger. When I say bigger, I mean, uh, you know, arms and his, his physique, right? This kid's pretty thin. Whereas when Giannis comes through the lane, he's coming through with, with somebody. But he's also coming through with, you know, what is he, 6'11", 7 feet? Right? But he's not the threat of a shooter that this kid is. This kid's literally going around people and can, and can fade away jumper from the corner. What? Excuse me? So anyway, uh, like I said, I got one more topic that I want to talk about, but I'm going to wait till next week. I want to do a little bit more research on that one. Um, that's going to be a pretty big one, and then I'll have something for you guys then. So I appreciate it. Uh, you are more than welcome to comment on anything uh, in the in the in my comment section. So please do. I appreciate your time. Thank you. Bye.